Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? All right. Um, today, the title of the message is The Christian Trademark. Uh, the Christian Trademark. Do you guys know what a trademark is? Right? It's that little maybe you see on um, I don't know, some kind of item you own or um, I don't know, you, you can think of some examples, but right, a, a trademark, it's something that uh, they're known for and no one else can, can copy, right, or copyright or patent. Have you guys ever seen the little R on something before? Or the little TM, right, that's trademark, or the R is, yeah, there's even other ones, C, uh, P is even one of them. Uh, the R just means registered trademark, that just means it's like a- absolutely legit. Have you guys ever seen Shark Tank? Yeah, you know how they, they go on because they're, and you know, they say patent pending uh, and they're trying to get that trademark. They're trying to get their brand to be able to sell things so that, and that, that would make them unique. That would make them uh, sellable. You know, something is trademarked like, like a logo, like you can't start something called, um, you know, uh, I don't know, out, out, in, and then use the same like logo. Like that would, it's because the logo is like completely for them. It's trademarked. Uh, it's something that when you see uh, the In-N-Out logo or you see, you hear, you know, uh, the, the jingle, like anyone know the In-N-Out jingle? That's what a hamburger's all about, right? No? Come on, you with me? Yeah, that, and it's not like I can start a commercial and I'm going to call, you know, the place Out Out In and then, uh, and then call, you know, make that jingle. It's something specific that when you hear that, you think in and out. When you hear that, I think animal style. When I hear that, I get hungry, right? Um, And for the Christian, there is a certain trademark that identifies who we are and who we represent. It's something you and I are known for. And last week together in chapter three, we begun 1 John chapter three, the the first nine verses. We, We went in depth Uh, And we looked at God's love for you and I, how he has this fatherly love that we are now his children, once enemies. And this week, we're going to take a look at how the trademark for the Christian, uh, it ought to be love, okay? As we receive the father's love and we, we, we get to be adopted into the family of God, that now for you and I, that there should be the, the thing that you and I are known for above anything else is our love for one another. And specifically what we're gonna talk t- about today is our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ first and foremost. And so let's pray and then we're gonna get into our text today, okay? Yes? All right. Father, we don't come to you this morning out of routine or repetition, uh, we come to you out of necessity. Or we come to you because we, we look at our lives and we know how insufficient we are and we see our great need. Lord, we need you this very hour to teach us from your word. I pray that this study in your word, wouldn't it be dull? It wouldn't be boring, but that as your word is living and powerful, that right now this morning, it would pierce our hearts, that it would get uh, uh, past all of our, um, Lord, as Gia was describing, our our scattered thoughts, 
that we would be able to focus on what you would speak to us this morning. Lord, we are your children and we are here to hear from you. I want you guys to repeat, I am here for you, Lord. God, we want to know you and we want to know you deeper and we want you to affect every area of our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The trademark of the child of God is love. And we're gonna see this in verses 10 through 15. So right now we're just gonna take this section by section and we're gonna see the trademark of the child of God starting in verse 10. You guys in 1 John chapter three? If you're there, say word. Remember, if you, have, if you ever struggle finding a book in the Bible, you can always use the table contents. It's your little cheat code, it's okay. First uh, John chapter three, starting in verse 10. The Bible says this, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Verse 13, do not marvel or be surprised, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer is, has eternal life abiding in him. And so right away, there's this very clear distinction made, a very clear difference. And if you look at verse 10 in your Bibles, it, it speaks of the children of God and it speaks of the children of the devil. And it says that the children of God, there is an unmistakable difference. If you notice in verse 10, it uses the word manifest, that there's a certain way that the child of God and the child of the devil, and it sounds harsh, but it's true, there's only two camps, um, show themselves. And it says that it's manifest and it means clearly known or it's evident, that the evident is, is, is so definable. And it's that the child of God, he practices righteousness. It just means he lives a good life uh, for the Lord and what is doing what is right in his sight, not perfect, but pursuing righteousness. And that one of the other marks is that he would love his brother and sister in the Lord. And the child of the devil doesn't practice righteousness. And, and in the opposite way, he hates his brother. And he says here, he says, this is a message that you have heard from the beginning. This is a basic Bible doctrine. This is something that you, if you have grown up in the church, or if you have just even know about Christianity, you know that one of the most basic things about being a Christian is that you are to love your neighbor. And that even more specifically than loving your neighbor, that you are to love your brother or sister in Christ. That this is the trademark of the believer. This is what sets us apart. And he gives an example. Uh, who, who specifically is the example that John gives of, um, of a child of the devil? Look, Cain, right? Anyone know about Cain? The first, right, the first one to uh, murder someone in the history um, of the world. And he murdered who? His brother, Abel, right? And, and, he, and he gives the details. He, he brings up this example, Cain, and he says, think about this. 
The only reason Cain killed Abel was because Cain's offer to God was unrighteous, meaning that his works were evil. He wasn't good. And he saw Abel and he saw that his works were good before the Lord. And out of spite and envy, uh, he kills his brother. That he kills him because his works were good. That was, that was it. That was the reason. And he uses this as a springboard for you and I to understand, don't be surprised if the world hates what you stand for. And it might not even be specifically of things you do, but it might just be the very reason because you live a life of goodness. You live a life pursuing righteousness. And that very fact, the world hates you, not because of you, but because of who you represent and because of what you do. And he says, don't marvel at this. This shouldn't be something that surprises us. This is how it's been from the beginning. But for the person that has passed, and it describes it from death to life, this will be the trademark of your life. And just think about it right now. If someone were to come and look at your life, would they be able to say the thing that you are known for is how you just love other people? Don't answer me out loud, but just think. I know that question can be very convicting. It's like, oh man, I, I don't know if people could say that about me. I don't know if that is the trademark of our life. It should be to some extent, not perfect in this, but that this should be a, a stamp upon our life, love and not hate. And the person, the Bible says, who, who does hate his brother or sister, he says that he is a murderer. Not in actuality, not that he's committed that murder, but that Jesus even describes that when you hate your brother, that you have that intention within you to murder him. Though you haven't physically done the act, you are convicted of the crime. Same thing that Jesus talks about with lust. Though you haven't uh, actually done anything with that girl or done anything with that boy, you have gone over it in your head. And so the same is true, that, that you are convicted that the thought is even the sin. And for the person who is full of hate, it shows that he's never experienced God's love like we talked about last week, that fatherly love. James chapter three, verse 16 says, for where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. That this idea of how the, the world will, be, will hate us because we're good. That Cain hated his brother because he was good. And this is where confusion and every evil thing is, is in this idea of hate. And it's something that you and I should not be known for. The opposite should be true. This is what Jesus commanded us. John writes down in his account of the gospel, John 13, verse 34 through 35. He says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, Jesus says very clear, very simple, right? This is not something that hopefully you've never heard before. Hopefully that this is not a new revelation of, of hopefully you're not sitting there saying, oh wait, I'm supposed to love other people? I didn't know that. Hopefully this is something, okay, yeah, I, I've heard this, but are you doing it? 
You see, Jesus says very clearly here that by this, meaning by this, by how you display and demonstrate love, specifically, he says, to one another, meaning he's not talking about the world and how you might treat a non-believer. He's talking about how you treat your brother or sister in Christ. Look to your left, okay? Look to your left. Now look to your right. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And the Bible says, Jesus says very clearly that the world will be able to tell that you know Jesus by the way that you treat and love each other. Very interesting. And John goes on in this section of scripture to kind of elaborate of what this looks like. He doesn't just give the command. He doesn't just tell us this is the trademark of the believer, but he gives us some detailed information about what this should look like in your life and in my life as a Christian. Are you guys ready? There's gonna be three things, uh, sorry, three key traits of this trademark that you and I have, and we're gonna find this in verses 16 through 18. Okay, so this is the type of love that we are to have. And he goes on, and, and I want you to, if you're taking notes, um, I want you to uh, put down number one. Number one, that our love for each other uh, should be life-laying, okay? Uh, there's gonna be three things that I give you, and each one will kind of sound a little funny, kind of like this, and so just, just roll with it. Hey, life-laying, that our love for one another should be life-laying. Look at verse 16. 1 John 3, verse 16 says, By this we know love, because he has laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You see, this is the type of love. This is how you and I can know of how we're supposed to treat one another. That you and I, we look at Jesus's love for us, what we discussed last week, the Father's love and, and, and what he has done for us and how Jesus laid down his life for us and it was all in love. And this is the type of love that you and I are now to show and display to one another that it should be life-laying, that we should be willing to lay down our life for one another, lay down our life. It means that we should willingly choose to die daily for one another. And in light of Jesus laying his life down for us out of love, we should do the same. But it's not just a feeling. It's not just even the words of saying, I would die for you, brother. Right? If, if, there was a, if there was a gunman that came in and he said, I'm gonna kill one of y'all, that you, I would get in your, I don't know why I'm, I have like this Southern accent all of a sudden, but I, <laughs> I don't know because we're talking about guns. I don't know. Um, but you know, I'm gonna, I would step in your way and I, I would take that bullet for you. But, and it's, it's not just in words, but it should be in demonstration. It should be a display. Because Jesus, he displayed this. Romans chapter five, verse eight, talks about this demonstration. He says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This verse describes that Jesus's love for you and I, it wasn't theory. It wasn't that Jesus sent us a love letter and said, I would lay down my life for you. No, he showed it and he said, I am laying down my life for you. Look, 
and he demonstrates it. John chapter 15, verse 12 through 13. John would say this, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Wouldn't you guys agree that the ultimately, ultimate display and demonstration of someone's love is the willingness to actually give your life for one another? That Jesus says clearly, no one has a better friend than the friend that would take the bullet for you. Right? That, would, that would push you out of the way and they would be willing to get hit by the car just so that they could save your life. And Jesus says and describes that this, our type of love for one another, it should be life laying. But think about this for a moment. If you would sacrifice your life for someone and you would even say to them, you say, I would, right, I would take that bullet for you. I will, I'll give you my life. If, if any situation comes, how much more should you sacrifice your time? How much more should we sacrifice our energy for someone else or sacrifice our effort or attention? Philippians chapter two, three through four, describes the type of life laying love that you and I should do um, in the everyday practical life of things, right? We don't have that situation every day. You might never get that situation and hopefully never get into a situation where you would actually have to give your life for someone else. And so is it all theory? Is it all in what you say or is it in what you do? Philippians here says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you not look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You see, guys, the first trait of the Christian trademark of love, it ought to be life laying, meaning not thinking of one's own life and seeking the best for the other. And you might say, I would give my life for you, but how are you demonstrating that in everyday life? You might say, well, I'll give my life for you, but I'm not, I'm not gonna buy your lunch today. <laughs> I'll give my life for you, but I'm not gonna potentially feel a little bit of awkwardness if I ask if you need prayer. But I'll, oh, but if someone comes in, I would, I would give my life for you. I'll give my life for you, but I'm a little bit too busy for you right now. You see, you see how those things don't, they don't come together? They don't make sense? I'll give my life for you, but. No, the everyday display of laying down your life. It's the, it's the type of love. It's the love that, that doesn't think about self, but seeks the best interests of others. Hopefully you've read 1 Corinthians 13 and the description of what it practically looks like. This is the love that John is talking about. Secondly, it's not only life-laying, sacrificial, but if you're taking notes, it's goods giving. And I told you it's gonna kind of sound funny today, but we're just gonna roll with it. Life-laying and secondly, it should be goods giving. You guys good? You following? Yeah? No one's sleeping? If your neighbor's sleeping, just uh, give him a little, little light elbow touch, okay? Not, not, nothing too hard. Chapter three, verse 17. He goes on, and the second thing he says is, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? He gives a very 
practical situation and scenario. If someone came up to you and they were in need of something that you had, actual need, not just want, they weren't just like, well, I want your Xbox, and so you have to give it to them. No, no. This is someone who actually, like, they need something. Like, they don't have a place to stay, or they don't have food to eat. This is a necessity good. This is something, a good. And, and he gives a situation that if someone comes up to you, and not just someone, but a brother. Remember, this is specific. We're not talking about the world right now. We're talking about a brother or sister in Christ. That if they come up to you, and you have it, but because of your own selfishness, you're unwilling to give it. And the Bible describes it as shutting your heart to them. He asked this, this question, and it's a rhetorical question. You guys know what a rhetorical question is? Yeah, what's a rhetorical question? Yeah, it's a question not meant to be answered because it's already answered. That the question itself begs the answer. And the answer for the question here is, uh, how does the love of God abide in someone like that? And the answer is it doesn't that those two things don't uh, come together. You see, he's talking about compassion here. And compassion is not just feeling bad for someone. It's not just feeling, oh man, I, oh, I, I wish I could help you out, or I feel really sad that you're in that situation. But compassion is not just caring, but it's care in action. I want you guys to write that down. Compassion is care in action, not just feeling sorrow for someone, but actually doing something for someone. I want you guys to turn to Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to look at a short story that Jesus tells his disciples. Matthew chapter 25. So this is when I should start hearing some pages ruffle. Probably the best sound in the world. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus describes this type of love, this goods giving, this compassionate love, this care in action, not just in words, not just saying, oh, good, you know, good, oh, you're hungry? Oh, good, I hope you find some food. <laughs> oh, you're, you don't have a place to stay tonight? I have a couch, but I don't want you to get it. You know, that's not for sleeping. That's like so I could sit and watch TV. No, but it's, it's action. It's doing something. And here Jesus is, is talking to uh, his disciples, and he, and he speaks about the end times, and he speaks about a time that Jesus is going to come back and bring judgment, both for good things and for bad things. And verse 31, you guys there, Matthew 25? So if you're in First John, it's going to be uh, to the left. It's going to be the first book in the New Testament. If you start seeing some crazy looking names, you probably went a little too far. Matthew 25, if you're there, if you're there say word. All right, he says here, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Speaking about Jesus, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. That Jesus is gonna separate those who are believers and those who are unbelievers. And he says, then the king will say to those on his right hand, those are the believers, the, the sheep, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And Jesus says, so, and this is what he's going to say to you and I. He's going to say, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. 
Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when, or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And, and their, their, their response is, Jesus, we, you were not, I mean, when we were believers, you know, you were already in heaven. We never saw you physically until now. And Jesus will answer them and it says, and the king will answer and say to them, assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, his people, then you did it to me. You see, Jesus, our king, will be looking at how we treat the least. He'll be looking at how did we display love? Did we say I love you a whole lot and not do anything about it? Or when we saw a brother or sister in Christ in any kind of need. Now, always the need, right, goes to the, the physical of, okay, I like these things, something to eat. But think about even more practical, small stuff. Because we think big, right? We think of the, oh, I would give my life for you. Or, man, if you, were, if you ever need a place to stay, my couch is yours. Or if you ever need food. But what about even the smaller stuff from that? I don't know can't think of anything right now. But the small things, do we even love each other in those kinds of ways? See, the Christian should be the first one to put their money where their mouth is. You know what that means? You ever heard that phrase? You know, it's the phrase of, uh, I don't know exactly where it comes from, but you might say, well, I, I want I want the, uh, this to change uh, in this way. I want this, I want this charity to start giving differently. Or I, I, want, I, want, ho- I want all the homeless people to uh, have a place to go. And then so someone says, well, what are you gonna do about it? Well, I'll start giving, I'll start giving some of my money so that I can give it to other people. It's, it's putting your money where your mouth is. It's a saying where, where put your actions to what you're saying. And that's what we're to do. Have you ever heard the saying, uh, talk is cheap? It's because it is. Talk is cheap. Meaning I could say I could, uh, I don't know why basketball always comes to my mind, but I could say I could beat you at basketball and I could say, man, I, w- I would beat you one-on-one, I'd beat you at 11 to 0. You wouldn't even get one point on me. And now, and then you say, well, let's go out, let's go out to the gym. You know, we have a gym here. Yeah, we, you know, let's go to the gym and uh, let's, let's put your money where your mouth is. Talk is cheap, but let's see how you play. Right? And for, for us, talk is cheap. We can say, I love you, I love you, I love you, but love is expensive. Love is costly at times. Billy Graham, do you guys know who Billy Graham is? Billy Graham, he's, a, he's, a, he's dead now, uh, but he was a famous, famous um, evangelist that went a worldwide, amazing man of God. And he said this, he said, if you give me someone's checkbook, this was kind of a long time ago, if you give me someone's checkbook and let me look through it, I'll tell you what kind of person he is, man or woman. And the idea is this, that if I could look into how you spend your money, I'll show you what kind of gods you worship. That what do, you, what do we spend, do we, do we say we wanna help people but then do nothing? Turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 30. It was awesome. I got to be at Ontario Christian with the junior high on Friday. That was super cool. Got to see some of you guys there. Um, And I got to share about uh, the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan is found in Luke chapter 10. And I want you guys to turn there. 
Who was there on, on uh, yeah, Isaiah? I know Grace is here somewhere. It was, it was fun being with you guys. If you ever guys have a Christian club and you want me to come, I'd love to, love to be with you guys. I'll share the word. Uh, Luke chapter 10 uh, is about the Good Samaritan. And if you don't know the background, the background for the Good Samaritan, why he's even talking about it, was this religious lawyer who was all talk, that he knew what to do. He knew the law. He knew I was to love my neighbor. He could quote it to you. He could quote it to you verbatim, meaning word for word. But in his action, he didn't do it. And so Jesus tells this genius story of the Good Samaritan. Um, and so let's, let's read it because it applies directly with what we're talking about today. Luke chapter 10. If you're there, say word. Uh, remember, you guys have this little tassel thing. This little tassel thing is super helpful. A little ribbon. Put that in 1 John because we're going to be back there if you didn't. Uh, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 30, that Jesus answers this religious lawyer guy who wouldn't put his money where his mouth is. And he says, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road and surely the priest is gonna help him. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, this was the least likely person, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, this man who was beat up half dead, he had compassion. It's not that he just felt bad, but his care turned into action. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii money and he gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I come again, excuse me, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Now, of course, the answer is the Samaritan. But the priests and the Levite, they knew the law. They would even say they loved people, uh, but they didn't follow through in their actions. But for the Samaritan, this least likely guy, he was neighbor to this man. In what way? That his compassion, his care turned into action, that it was inconvenient for him. He was on his way somewhere else, but he stopped. It was costly, meaning he had to pay the innkeeper. He had to uh, pay him to stay there and take care of him. And it was long-term. He even said, I'm gonna come back and make sure that he's okay. And this was someone he didn't even know. And these example, this example has to do with someone the Samaritan didn't even know. How much more should you and I take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ who we're gonna spend all of eternity with. Galatians chapter six, verse 10 says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. He says, do good to all, but especially, meaning specifically, to those who are of the household of faith. That the, the Christian, our brother and sister, is actually first and foremost before an unbeliever that we should take care of them with our physical goods. No matter how little we might have, if it's more than someone else, then we're to display that love. And so the second trait of the Christian trademark of love ought to be good giving. That our goods giving, that our love ought to turn into compassion for those around us. That it should be practical. Does that make sense? Are you ready for the third one? You guys still taking notes? You didn't put your pen down? 
Okay, you, you didn't break your pen yet? I know some of you guys, you, some of you guys go on missions to break all of our pens, but that's okay. Okay, number three, it is deed doing. That our love should not only be life laying, goods giving, uh, but deed doing, not just words. Okay, maybe you guys didn't hear of those other two sayings, right? Put your money where your mouth is or talk is cheap. But what about um, this one? This one's a little, what about put up or shut up? What about that one? And I like that. I know I, I usually wouldn't say shut up from the pulpit and I'm, I don't encourage you to say that. But to some extent, we as Christians, this is how we have to be. We either gotta put up, we either gotta put out, or we, we need to just not say it. If you're gonna say to someone, I love you, you better follow through with it. John says here in 1 John chapter three, now verse 18, he says, he says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. If I say I love you, which I do love you guys, then I better follow that up with actions. Which is better, to say I love you and do nothing about it, or to not really say I love you and, and display it and show it and be there for you. The second one's actually better. Now we should do both. Sometimes we're really bad at communicating how we feel towards someone, but we, but we show it. There should be both. But we certainly should not be the people who call ourselves Christians, but then not live by the trademark of Christ. That I should not say, I'm, and, and same with uh, praying for you either. If you say you're gonna pray for someone, you better dang well pray for them. And that is the greatest display of love that I think you and I can do is to, is to really pray for someone. But he says that we should not love just in word or in tongue. When it says word, it's talking about with what you say, right? The words that come out of your mouth. When it says language, it's talking about specifically what you, like how you say it, the words that you actually use. Not just in what you say, but in what you do, deed, it means action, doing something, in truth, that it should be in sincerity. It should be real. It should, be, it should correspond with reality. That's what it means when it, when it says truth, that if we say it, then we should actually do something about it. James chapter two, verse 14 through 17 says this. You look on the screen. What does it profit my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but does not have works. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked, remember brother or sister in Christ is naked and destitute of daily food. They don't have clothes and they're starving to death. And one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? What's the benefit of that? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now what James is talking about here is faith and works, but I think they go hand in hand. That our faith is displayed in how we love other people. That if we just say to someone, you know, if someone comes to us with a need, no matter how small or how big, and, and you know, and say if, if it is a big need like this, think about the picture of this. I mean, think about you go home later today, and uh, one, of, and one of these people and their family, one of your brothers and sisters of Christ, and this fan, they come to your house and they knock on the door. And you see them and they, maybe they just got like kind of ratty clothes and they're, and they're telling you, we're really hungry. You know, my uh, dad just lost his job, whatever it might be. And you say, oh, well, well, just go in peace. Just be warmed. 
be filled. And then you shut the door on their face. Be like, no, welcome them inside, give them some food, right? Actually do something about it. Or else your faith, your Christian faith, what you say you are, it, it, it doesn't mount to anything. But think about that in just if, smaller terms and how we treat one another and how we act towards one another. The third trait of this Christian trademark is ought to be that our love is deed doing, not just with nice words and kind things, but without works, our love is dead. It's dead. It doesn't mean anything. And then as we just conclude, I just want you to, we're gonna close this chapter, verses 19 through 23. And we're gonna, I wanna show you guys the outcome. If, If you commit to live a life like this for the Lord, I want to show you the outcome of this trademark. 1 John chapter three, verse 19. He says, and by this, by this display of love, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because of his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. You see, if you and I, if we begin to truly live our life by this, like a true child of God, imitating that love that's been shown to us, then the result is gonna be two blessings. And I just want you to quickly note them down as we close. Number one, assurance. That you and I will have an inward assurance that we are his. Assurance, it means to be persuaded or convinced that we will have this in us. And I I know because I've experienced this because I can see the change in my life. I'm I'm not perfect at loving people, but I'm a whole lot better than I used to be. And so I can look at certain people that that I've displayed love to and I can know that that's Jesus in me. I can know that he's involved in my life and I have this assurance because of that. I can look at someone and say, I love that person and I normally would not love that person, right? And, and, and that can give us this just confidence that we have toward God. You say, I, I, that is God loving that person through me because my flesh don't like that person, right? And so we can have this assurance. I love that John adds here though, he even says, but even after that, if our heart still condemns us, if we do you know, uh, fulfill this commandment and, and love one another, even if our heart still condemns us, you guys ever experienced that before? To condemn, it means to kind of put down and, and condemn, meaning, well, you're not, look, your life's not perfect, so you're not really God's child. And Satan kind of whispers all kinds of things, and even our own heart can, can do that to us. But he says, God is greater than your heart. Everyone look at me real quick. In those moments that your heart wants to condemn you and say you're not good enough or you're not the Lord's, if you're his and you've made that decision for him, know in those moments that God is greater than your heart and he knows all things. I love Spurgeon talks about this part is that, that you and I in those moments of doubt that we need to call on God as our higher court. Meaning he is the one that ultimately says, even if we condemn ourselves, God says, nope, you're mine. The second thing is answered prayer. It's assurance but it's also answered prayer that when we live lives that are obedient to his commandments 
and we live in a way that pleases him, God answers prayer. And I'm telling you, he does. Uh, not always uh, in the way that you expect or you think, but the Bible says that if you and I, if, if we're pursuing him in relationship, there's not sin involved in our life, God answers our prayers. First John chapter five, verse 14 through 15, says this, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that assurance, that confidence, this boldness, that if we ask anything according to his will, notice that, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions, petitions that we have asked of him. Notice how we conclude our prayers in whose name? Do you say in Joel's name, amen? Hopefully not, because I can't do nothing for you. Or in, uh, in Gilbert's name, amen? Or in Pastor Jack's name, amen? That's not gonna do anything for you. We say in Jesus' name, Amen. That's doing a couple different things. That's not only claiming his authority and saying that, that uh, I'm praying this uh, to Jesus, in, but in his name specifically means that you are praying as a representative of Jesus. That this idea of that when you and I pray in Jesus' name, that we are representing the king and that we are praying according to what he would want. And we know what he wants because of his word. And this is kind of an, uh, a thing that they would do a long time ago in the kind of medieval times and way even before then, that when the messenger, they didn't have Twitter back then, right? They didn't have cell phones, they didn't have email. And so they sent messages by messengers. And when the messenger would come to a different kingdom and give the message to that king from his own king, he would read that, that whatever that message was and he would close in whatever that king's name was because he is praying according to what his king would want, or he is talking to what his king would want. In the same way that you and I, when we pray according to what Jesus wants, oh man, that, that prayer will be answered in, in our favor in that way. And so just in closing, guys, this kind of love ought to be our trademark. Worship team, you guys can come out, come out, come out. And above all else, this is what you and I should be known for. Even before our love that we show for the world, it should be our love for one another. It should be altogether different than anything the world has to offer. And so uh, you can hit the lights. As we just conclude, think about it for a moment. Would God be able to put that little R, that trademark stamp on your life? Is that what you're known for? Is that how someone would define you? As a Christian, we have been given an overabundant amount of love, that Jesus has gone above and beyond displaying that to us, that not only he saved us, but we're also part of his family, that he's made us sons and daughters, and we're gonna spend all of eternity together. And so how, in what ways are we loving one another? May God fill our gaps where we're missing in this area, May he stir us up to, to truly actually do this, not just with words, not just in word or tongue, but in action and in reality. God, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you displayed it to us so clearly, so obviously. Lord, that agape love, the self-sacrificing, seeking our best, 
that you've given us more than we can even ask or think. Lord, may we truly begin to put this into practice in a new way. Lord, may we not just say we love others, but may we show it. Would it not be all talk? Lord, would you show, even right now, as you just are so good at speaking to us, I just pray that you would bring that practical application to every heart sitting in this room. Is the start for some of us just to not be mean to another? For others, is it to go above and beyond? Lord, for others, is it, is it simply to ask if someone needs prayer? that we should be willing to give it all for, for those around us. Lord, help us to live what, you, what Paul said, to not think of our own interests, but the interests of others. Lord, this, this is so unnatural to us. Lord, but would it be, become so clear in our lives by your supernatural ability in us? We love you, God, and, and just pray that simple truth that we've heard from the beginning that you'd help us to love our neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.